the hell is going on? What's really going on? We said, what the hell happened? You don't have to know what the hell is on it. They, they see what's going on. I don't know what's going on. What is going on? We must find out what is going on. Hi, I'm Danielle Fletka. I'm Mark Thiessen. Welcome to our podcast, What the Hell is Going On? Mark, what the hell is going on? Well, what the hell is going on is that we are learning more and more about the depths of depravity to which the Chinese communist regime will sink. And they are now in the process of using the coronavirus, which they unleashed onto the world through their negligence and their lies and created this global pandemic. They are using this as a pretext to crack down on the Hong Kong democracy movement. So they just recently arrested on April 18th, 15 pro-democracy leaders, including Martin Lee, including Jimmy Lai, the owner of uh, Apple Daily, which is one of the big Hong Kong newspapers. If they had done this before coronavirus, hundreds of thousands of people would have been in the street protesting, but people can't because of social distancing. So they're using the virus and the need for social distancing and the need for quarantine as a pretext to arrest and crack down on the democracy movement in Hong Kong. It's just amazing how unbelievably vile this regime is. Well, I think it's been a great opportunity for them while people are honestly distracted and while the movement that has stood up to them with so much courage and so much fervor over the last month has been forced to stay at home. You know, they've really done their best to try to ensure that that movement doesn't break out again. Hong Kong has done an amazing job in beating the coronavirus. They haven't had any cases in a couple of weeks so far. So they are planning on coming right back out again. Now, People may not remember, we've spent so much time and there's been so much water under the bridge since, but what started this iteration of Hong Kong protests was the introduction of legislation by the Beijing puppet leadership in Hong Kong about the extradition of Hong Kong people to mainland China for trial. And this bill was introduced, it caused a massive uprising inside Hong Kong, which is supposed to be governed, if you remember, as one country, i.e. the People's Republic of China, two systems, but which China is trying to make into one country, one system. Yeah. So for people who haven't followed this so closely, Hong Kong was a British colony and was handed back to Beijing in 1997 under this one country, two systems. And for 50 years, they were half supposed to have a high degree of autonomy. They were supposed to be self-governing, that they were supposed to run, you know, basically the continue free market economy, continue the democratic uh, system that they had in place. And China has been rapidly eroding those democratic freedoms. And so the people of... <laughs> Did you hear that? That was me pouring wine for Mark. Excellent. Just in case you wondered why we sounded so animated. <laughs> <laughs> and so they've been eroding these freedoms more and more rapidly. And so the protest movement has been a response to this effort to crack down on the democratic freedoms that the people of Hong Kong were guaranteed supposed to be for 50 years. So really hundreds of thousands of people, up to millions of people, weekend after weekend after weekend were pouring into the streets throughout last year in Hong Kong. They all obviously got shut down because of the coronavirus. And now they are starting to come back. The real question, I think, is, is Hong Kong, like Taiwan, with its own elections in January that were a massive repudiation of Beijing, is Hong Kong 
going to stick its finger in the eye of the dictators in Beijing and say, no, this is what you promised. This is what we want. We want our own governance. We want our own system. So they had local council elections recently before the virus came. And the pro-democratic forces, it was an absolute rout. They swept those elections. And so you got to expect they're supposed to have LegCo elections, the Legislative Council, which is Hong Kong's governing legislature, their, their Congress, is supposed to have elections in September. That system is rigged against the democratic forces because there are certain seats that are guaranteed for the pro-Beijing parties. There are certain seats guaranteed for the business community and for other people who have a vested interest and go along, get along with the, the Communist Party of China. But there are a certain amount of contested seats. And it would be a huge finger in the eye, as you put it, to Beijing if there was a sweep of those seats by the democratic forces in Hong Kong. But the other thing that we need to see is the rest of the world waking up, because it's not just obviously the people of Hong Kong who were distracted by the coronavirus and who were forced to stay in their homes. It was all of us. Now, we've all been sitting at home and and (laughs) making bread and contemplating our our self-pity while we're stuck and not opening up. And... As a result, I think not just we, but the British, the French, the Germans, and others have really taken our eye off the ball in Hong Kong. It's not just that the people there need to go back into the streets. They need to show Beijing who's boss. It is that we need to wake up again. We need to do more to stand up. And I would say that in this case, we've actually done okay. I'd love to see the British doing more. It was the it was their territory. It was their territory, and it was to them that the promise was made of one country, two systems. That is exactly right. So China's Hong Kong Affairs Office, which is their their liaison office in Hong Kong, they said that their goal is to eradicate the political virus that is the pro-democracy movement. This is a virus we do not want to eradicate. This is a virus we want to protect because it's the virus of freedom. And I think the whole world needs to stand with the people of Hong Kong. And we are so lucky to have one of the principal leaders of that movement with us here on the podcast today. So one of the reasons why we have wine is because we're here at nine at night talking to... <laughs> talking to which is morning uh, Hong Kong time. <laughs> which is in morning Hong Kong time. That's exactly right. Talking to Joshua Wong, who is the 23-year-old leader of an organization called Demo Sisto. It has been behind many of the pro-democracy demonstrations. It's a pro-democracy party. He had founded another pro-democracy party some years ago in the, during the 2014 protests. If anybody remembers the Umbrella Movement, which yep. was absolutely a beautiful sort of bit of civil disobedience that really courageously stood up to the Beijing government. Joshua Wong has inspired hundreds of thousands of young Hong Kong people and really people People, across the world. Absolutely. He's the Lech Fawensa of Hong Kong in a lot of ways. That's an ancient reference for many people, except for listeners of this podcast where we had Lech Fawensa (laughs) on the podcast. To talk about Hong Kong. To talk about Hong Kong and offer to go there. But just as Lech Fawensa stood in the Lenin shipyard in 1979 and 1980 and stood up to the Soviet Union, Joshua Wong and his compatriots are standing in the streets of Hong Kong facing down the last totalitarian giant remnant of the 20th century. And, uh, you know, we are all with him and we want him to succeed. And we're so happy that he can join us today. Joshua, welcome to the podcast. 
Thank you for the invitation. Well, thank you for being with us. So let's start with this arrest that just went down in April 18th of about 15 leaders of the pro-democracy movement. If this had happened before the coronavirus, you would have had hundreds of thousands of people out in the streets. But it seems like Beijing is taking advantage of the virus to launch a crackdown on the democracy movement. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how they are using this virus as a pretext to stop democracy in Hong Kong? Yeah, under the outbreak of COVID-19, we just aware that how Hong Kong and Beijing government ignore the importance to handle this public health crisis, but just spend time and effort to override the public health issue by national pride and Beijing interests. Just like how they conduct the mass arrest a few weeks ago, 15 prominent political movement leaders, including Martin Lee and Jimmy Lai, were arrested. And it's not only implying they hope to take advantage by the outbreak of COVID-19. It also proved that in the previous day, they will only try to target a young generation just like me or other student movement leader. But now, no matter generation of millennials or the generation of baby boomers, from the age of 11 to the age of 84, which is a cross-generation suppression and targeted every dissident's hope to silence our voice. What do you think accounts for the change? Because I know that for us who have been watching you from Washington and our friends in Europe as well, this has really been a movement that has been driven by students, by people like you. And yet the decision by Beijing to suddenly crack down on someone who is a veteran of democracy protests of 20, 30, 40 years ago, like Martin Lee, is a change. What's happening? Since Xi Jinping took the leadership role, to be the president of China, I think the tactics of Beijing suppress on Hong Kong far more different than one or two or three decades ago in the golden era or uh, with the soft light approach under the leadership of Wu Jintao and Wen Jiabao. So in the recent years since 2013, one country, two system is strongly being eroded and high degree autonomy almost fade out. But why it will happen to prosecuted Jimmy Lai and Martin Lee for the first time in Hong Kong history. I think it's because since last summer protest movement in Hong Kong, such a city with only 7 million population, 2 million people talk to the street to show the solidarity and unity. And Beijing afraid that how Hong Kong stand as one with solidarity. And finally, the only way out for Beijing is to arrest as many as people as they can and hope to stop the protest. But it's useless because since last summer till now, more than 8,000 people were arrested. In fact, the number of arrested Hong Kongers already even more than the number of prisoners in Hong Kong. Uh, we have around 7,000 prisoners in Hong Kong, but now we have 8,000 people were arrested since last summer protest. But the threats can't defeat Hong Kongers will make us even stronger determination. So we are preparing to take back to the street again on June, the first anniversary of the protest. So one of the things that has been said about these arrests is that these are really the first step in a broader crackdown that Beijing is going to launch using the coronavirus lockdown as a pretext or at least a, a cover that prevents you from responding. What do you see as the next steps? What are you expecting from mainland authorities? I think it really depends on how will be the outcome of the uh, protest movement in the next few months because on June of 2019, we have 2 million people talk to the street. 
And now uh, the outbreak of coronavirus almost end in Hong Kong because the number of confirmed cases dropped to zero for more than two weeks already. So Hong Kongers are trying to prepare and take back to the street again. But as I've mentioned, more than 8,000 people were arrested, 1,200 people were prosecuted, and 100 protesters were already physically locked up in prison. So how will they turn out? It really depends on how we can keep our movement momentum with solidarity and unity. But I think there's two critical issues that we would love to observe on. The first is uh, how will be the outcome of the legislative council election on September as we enjoy the landslide victory in the district council election on last November. 85% of the seats won by pro-democratic camp. So what will be the next step and uh, it's possible for pro-democratic camp to take the majority to let the council be the platform representing the voice of people, which is critical. And the second issue is just like how the U.S. Uh, has passed the Hong Kong Human Rights and Democracy Act, and when will be the time for Secretary Pompeo to issue and release the Hong Kong report? I think it also matters. So, Joshua, one of the things that's interesting is that your movement came together with so much power and so much influence that obviously Beijing was forced to withdraw the original legislation that had tipped the protests off. But we had all understood that Carrie Lam was going to be replaced. She is still there as Beijing's puppet leader in Hong Kong. What's happened? That's a good question, and it again and again imply how Carrie Lam is just a puppet of communist regime and one of those Beijing loyalists. Of course, the protest movement since last summer, the short-term goal is to urge the government to completely withdraw the controversial extradition bill, and the mid-term goal is to urge the government to stop the crackdown on protests with the police brutality and bloodshed. And the long-term goal is ask for free election. We have the elected leader of this city. And successfully, it's kind of remarkable achievement. On last September, Beijing government and Hong Kong government compromised and accept to completely withdraw the controversial extradition bill. Unfortunately, uh, Carrie Lam is still the leader, and the bloodshed crackdown still continue. And it also led us to realize that how the democracy movement in Hong Kong, just like how Martin Lee uh, fight for democracy for almost four decades, is really a long-term and uphill battle. So uh, one of the things that we're hearing is that Beijing has called for the Hong Kong legislature to take up again new national security laws that they last tried to pass in 2003 uh, when they introduced Article 23, which states that Hong Kong should enact laws to prohibit any acts of treason, secession, sedition, subversion against China's central government. When do you see that happening and how will that affect your fight? That's the threat from Beijing and hope to arrest more people as they can. And when they suggested to imply and to enhance the legislation of Article 72, I think it's just proof that maybe on the upcoming legislative council election, they will just override the principle of procedural justice and to disqualify as much candidate as they can. As we all are aware that in the previous few years, some of the democratically elected lawmakers were forcefully unseated by Beijing. Uh, some of the youngsters, including me, 
and Agnes Chow from Damosisto apply to run for office, but being censored out from the ballot, and we are not allowed to run for office. So on the upcoming summer, on the election, will Beijing still allow young generation to run for office, or they will try to disqualify a lawmaker, a candidate, which is really uncertain. And so how we can hope for the best and prepare for the worst, I think, which is really important. So one of the questions that I think exists in people's minds is the role that the coronavirus, that COVID-19 has mm. had. On the one hand, everybody is distracted. You know, everybody is talking about quarantine and about the effects of the virus, and they haven't been focusing on the issues that they focused on before. And that's been bad for the demonstrations as everybody's had to hide at home. On the other hand, it has also really changed world opinion about China. For the first time, China has really been shown as a lying, deceitful regime that puts the party before the people. Tell me how you think that what your impression is, just, you know, from the heart of these protests, is of what the ultimate impact of the virus is going to be on China in the world. Yeah. I remember on 1st of January of this year, in 2020, Hong Kong still have 1 million people talk to the street. But once we are aware of the outbreak of COVID-19 around late of February, of course, which is impossible for us to mobilize people together on the street. It's lucky that in Hong Kong, with our creativity and flexibility, we still have the way to organize virtual protests. No matter use some software to co- uh, organize online uh, live stream assembly, or we have the virtual protest on Animal Crossing, the most popular Nintendo Switch game, to add some of the protest art on the island to transform the, the island to be a protest zone, which is what we practice and experience in the past few months. But more important is, I think, even the outbreak of coronavirus results in the world put less focus on Hong Kong. But it also let the world put the global spotlight on what's going on from Beijing. And when they try to manipulate on WHO, and when they hold the intention and let people aware one of the tagline or slogan, China lies result in people die. I think after the outbreak of COVID-19, it's time for the Western world to reassess and reveal what's their policy to China. And no matter how WHO Secretary General with one of the puppets of China, or how even WHO finally, two weeks ago, urged to investigate on the origin or the source of the COVID-19, Beijing refused it. It also implies how China do not respect on liberal value and international order. You mentioned Nintendo Switch's Animal Crossing here. Now, you know, uh, Mark and I are, are not Nintendo Switch players. Well, my kids are. Yeah, and, and my kids are too. Um, but tell us, just explain this a little bit for people who who aren't 23, about the role that Nintendo's Animal Crossing has yeah. been playing in Because it's really democracy. a genius what you guys did there. Uh, yeah, so Animal Crossing in Nintendo Switch is similar as the game of Minecraft, which means that it allow uh, game players have to use their creativity to decorate the island, and you can just import some of the JPEG 
or a picture from your computer to the game in Nintendo Switch. So when lots of youngsters around the world, they may import some of the picture of Avengers, of Harry Potter, or etc. But in Hong Kong, youngsters play Nintendo Switch and import the protest slogan and to import those protest art from our computer to their video game and transform that our island in Animal Crossing to be a protest song and to invite other game players to visit our island and to uh, show some of our demand on the protest. Yeah, so even under self-quarantine, uh, people are really boring, but we still have the way out to show and try to keep our momentum. It's just fascinating because one of the things that was said about your protest movement is that like the protesters are like water through Hong Kong. When the regime comes in to crack down in one place, they just flow somewhere else. And then the quarantine took you off the streets. And so you just flowed into cyberspace and continued the protest. It's it's just a remarkable uh, development. Yeah. So it also led Beijing to realize that even they stop us, mobilize people together on the street, we still have other alternatives. And through our creativity to show the efficiency and effectiveness of Hong Kongers, how as Hong Kongers we can still sort out the way how to continue the movement. So on the upcoming summer, I believe uh, we will gather people on the street with more than a million people, uh, show our anger and solidarity, and to keep on the fight. So the threat that we might face is apart from the national security law that Beijing hopes to implement in Hong Kong, how many candidates that Beijing will disqualify and will uh, Beijing respect the result of the election on September or they might unseat as much uh, lawmaker as they can a few months later. I think these two critical points is the things that we must observe on. So one of the things that's amazing here in the U.S., and Danny alluded to this, is polls show that 77% of Americans blame China for the spread of the coronavirus. And there is an enormous bipartisan hostility towards Beijing. One of the things that's happening here in the U.S. is we have a younger generation that really was never exposed to what communist totalitarian regimes are like because they grew up in the post-Cold War world when communism as they knew it, the threat as we knew it from uh, Russia, had dissipated. And now all of a sudden, communist totalitarianism has them locked in their own homes here in the United States because of Beijing's mishandling. What is your message to younger Americans here about communism and about China and why they should take this threat seriously, not just because they should care what's happening in Hong Kong, because they should care about what's happening to them right now? Yeah, I think that's a good point. Uh, for lots of young generation, Gen X or millennials, they might be not really interested in politics. Communist uh, ideology seems to think be the things that they could uh, learn from the history textbook, but that's all. But I think in the recent uh, protest movement related to Hong Kong, how the political censorship and the chilling effect in MBA and Blizzard, and uh, when a Animal Crossing is really popular around the world, but China banned Animal Crossing. Part of it <laughs> is because of how Hong Kongers use Animal Crossing as the game to organize the protest. So it just let more young generation know that perhaps you might be a fan of NBA, but for those NBA basketball players, they might, because of only retreat, one of the trip related to Hong Kong protests to show that they care and stand with Hong Kong. Finally, they were being criticized by the Chinese uh, embassy 
or face the criticism by the Chinese netizen, and it violate on the principle of freedom of speech. So it just implied that how the threat of China matter for every youngster daily life. No one could expect that even you are a game player of Blizzard, and finally you will still realize that the threat of China will affect you,、uh, even you are playing video games. That's amazing. You know, you tweeted about something that I think it's also important that people hear about, and especially here in Washington, because I think this is an area where our policymakers can be helpful. On your Twitter, you talked about the police force replacing their emergency vehicles, and I was very interested in that story. Would you just explain that a little bit for our listeners? Yes,、uh, I think that's a good point because、uh, last. November, a U.S. Congress passed two acts related to Hong Kong. The first is Hong Kong Human Rights and Democracy Act, as a similar act as Global Humanitarian Act for the purpose of sanction. And second one is Protect Hong Kong Act from Congressman McGovern, and which implied that the U.S. government should not export any kind of riot weapon or equipment to Hong Kong police force. But later on, we just brought out that. The Hong Kong police force they just take the advantage, and the Hong Kong police force just import the weapon and equipment with the name of government procurement, which means that they will not purchase those equipment as the name of police force, but they will purchase those police equipment through the Department of Logistics in Hong Kong government. So when we spot out this problem, it just proved that the current handling system. It's extremely serving the interests of police force, and I think now is the time to inform a foreign government to expand the scope of the embargo because they just purchase the equipment in the name of other government department. It's lucky that、uh, U.S. government still didn't import any equipment to Hong Kong police force since last summer. But for other European country,、uh, no matter Italy or Germany, they still under this discussion. Interesting. So both Italy and Germany are still supplying the Hong Kong police force with police and anti-riot gear that is being used to suppress human rights and human freedom. Good to know. We should talk to our friends in Rome and in Berlin about that. Are you worried, Joshua, that、uh, you know one of the impacts of the virus obviously has been massive economic disruption here in the United States and in Europe, and millions of people put out of work, and you know economies in you know Great Depression、mm. era. Are you worried that like the Europeans are going to be so desperate for commerce that they're not going to be in the mood to turn down contracts like that, and that they may be more desperate for cash and less willing to withhold? Our understanding,、uh, the embargo exists or not, it depends on the、uh, government. More depends on manufacturer. Will they still provide those equipment to the Hong Kong police force? And、uh, I don't believe it will result in a strong backfire because compared to other police force around the world. I don't believe really Hong Kong government purchase lots of equipment in different country because、uh, not because、uh, Hong Kong police is not brutal. It's because Hong Kong government the、uh, the scale is just serving a city with population of seven million. So the amount of purchase is still not really critical for serving the interests of those manufacturer. But I think more important is why、uh, for the young generation in Hong Kong,、uh, we really have to emphasize more. About international efficacy, it's because、uh, no matter the equipment or the weapon used by the riot police in Hong Kong to crack down on protests is from the Western world that、uh, believe in democracy, but their weapon is used by Hong Kong police force 
to target the one who fight for democracy, which is totally ironic. And the second issue is we really hope to make some change and to put more pressure with the international momentum and let Beijing realize that if they being recognized as the second largest superpower or the authoritarian, uh, but they still believe in authoritarian value, they need to face the suppression around the world. So exit question from us, Joshua. So our listeners are listening to you. They are newly aware of uh, China's uh, lies and its brutality. They support you and want you to succeed. What can people here in the United States do to help you? We really hope and wish more senators and congressmen can continue care about what's going on in Hong Kong, especially the protests will resume and people will reassemble on street again in the upcoming few months. And the second issue is now the U.S. Department of State, uh, Secretary Pompeo, will issue a report about uh, Hong Kong Human Rights and Democracy Act uh, soon. So uh, we really wish those uh, people live in the United States can continue to uh, care about Hong Kong because Hong Kong is the international city stand on the forefront to confront the authoritarian regime crackdown. And apart from putting recommendation to your congressman or senator, I think how to follow me or other Hong Kong politicians on Twitter, which could also be a good channel to keep focus on what's going on in Hong Kong. That's marvelous. We will encourage everybody to do that. And let me just say from here in D.C., at least from Mark and me, we are just so impressed by your courage and your persistence in standing up to the largest country, one of the most powerful countries in the world. It just proves what an individual can do when they stand for their principles. So good for you and for everybody who stands with you. Thank you. So, Danny, first of all, so great to have this really courageous individual on the podcast with us. I mean, he is at great personal risk. We had to go through all sorts of weird security to get this phone call done and everything as well, because the Chinese authorities are listening to everything he says. But, you know, the reality is Hong Kong is a vital front in a broader struggle now with the Chinese totalitarian regime. We have been awakened because of this virus to the threat that Chinese communism poses to our health security. And we should be awakened as well to the threat it poses to our national security and also the threat it poses to freedom. Because not to start this controversy again, but we have basically two free Chinese territories uh, in Asia. You've got Taiwan and you've got Hong Kong. Which, I'm with you. I like which both Taiwan, should, free China. Yeah, they're free China. Um, you know, they're free Chinese societies. I don't think anybody objects to that. Where you see that the Chinese people if unleashed from totalitarianism, if they are given freedom, if they're given opportunity to, to function in a free society, embrace the most dynamic democracy and the dynamic economics in the whole world. If you could turn all of China into Hong Kong and Taiwan, it would be one of the most both benign and incredibly great contributors to the world. And it's just such a tragedy that this regime is that a billion people are oppressed in such a way that holds back their potential. But they're a threat to us. And we we need a major reassessment uh, in the wake of this virus of our strategy in dealing with Beijing. Right. So, I mean, on the podcast, we've talked about China and the World Health Organization. We've talked about China in the United Nations and trying to take over the World Intellectual Property Organization. We've talked about China and the virus. We've talked about China dominating our... I sense a theme here. Yes. We have. <laughs> this well, look, you know, I hope we, we do our best to talk about things that are important and that interest people. But 
I think that you're exactly right. There are so many dimensions to this. And part of the risk for the United States is that we reduce it into, you know, we need to, we just need to fix this trade deficit. No, this does require, as you said, a, a wholesale reexamination. And, you know, one of the things that Joshua mentioned, which I was really proud of, is the Hong Kong Human Rights and Democracy Act. You know, when Congress is at its best, and I don't care whether it's under the Democrats or under the Republicans, when Congress is at its best, it is the moral backbone of the United States government. You know, we've God seen help that. us. Well, <laughs> but I mean, look, we've seen this in every decade. You know, what is the engine of standing up for Israel in the in in the yeah. United States? It's Congress. What is the engine of standing up for human rights? It's Congress. What is the engine for standing up against you know the oppression of the Hong Kong people. Yeah. Same with Taiwan, by the way. The Uyghurs, all of it. And as dysfunctional, and God knows you guys know how dysfunctional this is, as dysfunctional as Congress has been, they have gotten this done. And this is an opportunity for both Secretary Pompeo, as Joshua was saying, but for this administration to actually start that turnaround so that no matter who wins in November, the United States is actually leading the world to a different approach on China. Well, I'll end on a positive and hopeful note, which is that one. this is one of the few areas where bipartisan agreement exists in a huge way. There's, if you just look at the polls, I mentioned Joshua, 77% of Americans blame China for the virus, but it's, you know, 67% of Democrats, I think 90% of Republicans. I mean, these are super majorities of both party have been woken up to the threat that communist China poses to our health security, to our economic security, and to our national security. And so I think and, this and is- a, to our, And to our allies. And too. to our allies. And so I think this this is doable. I think that there's an opportunity to forge a bipartisan coalition to, you know, it's going to be very hard to do during an election uh, year because, but what's fascinating is that you have Biden and Trump trying to outdo each other on who's more tougher on China, yeah, right? You well, know, let's, the, let's, we know how that one's going to go. But but the, <laughs> but the point is, is that once the election's over and we stop politicizing China for the election, I think there's a potential for bipartisan cooperation to really have a new approach to China. All right, guys. Members of Congress who are listening, you heard it here. Do it. Stand up. Do the right thing. Thank you guys for being with us. Hope you're staying safe at home. We know we are. Mark, finish up your wine. Bye, everybody. And our team here at AEI is Alexa Santry, Matt Winesett, Jen Moretta, and Macy Heath. Let us know what topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing us at whatthehell@ai.org. Or you can reach us on Twitter. I'm at D Pletka. And I'm at Mark Thiessen. That's Mark with a C. Please rate and review the podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe, share it, comment on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.